Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Technology Watch. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Masihullah Katrada. And today we're going to continue talking about future technology trends, especially where jobs are involved. Now, last week we had a very interesting discussion. We spoke about jobs over time that went extinct and how it always ends up that people find things to do. It always works out in the end. So last week we spoke about the loom workers. The the word for for them was the Luddites. Now these people were called Luddites because there was a, a, a gentleman by, with the surname Ludd and he led this revolt. I think it was Alfred Ludd. He led this revolt to go and start destroying loom machines in factories because as far as they were concerned it was the the job of human beings to work the cotton into strands and to work those strands into fabric so what they did was they formed organized mobs and they went into factories and started destroying these these machines now over time they they you know they got arrested and they got thrown into prison because nobody was just going to stand around and let these uh, luddites go and start destroying expensive machinery nonetheless they earned their place in the history books because of this uh, violent revolution of theirs and they came to be known as the luddites but the word luddite was actually it outlived the people that were called luddites and up till today we still use the word Luddite, and that's the word used to refer to people who are afraid of technology, people who are technologically backward. Then we say, this guy is a real Luddite, because he, we don't know where he came from. It's not Laddu, it's Luddite. We say, we, we don't know what rock this guy has been living under. He doesn't know uh, what to do with uh, basic technology. But nonetheless, when we look at the way that technology has advanced and progressed over the years, it all worked out. I mean, think about all those people who used to work in the horse business in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You got your groomers, you got your feeders, you got your vets, you got your your uh, people that used to make those shoes, the horseshoes, the, the, the blacksmiths that used to make those horseshoes. When the motor vehicle came into existence, they must have had similar fears that this new technology, this new motor vehicle is going to take our jobs away. In fact, there was a very interesting story where one person said that that the, the, the motor vehicle will always be a good recreation, but it will never replace the horse. And just fast forward 30 or 40 years later, and it's hard to find a horse anywhere. Now you'll find horses that are uh, only on farms, they just confined to farms. So, as time went, the vehicles replaced uh, the the horses. The people that looked after the horses, the people that even those that made the the carriages, those carts that the horses used to put, all of them went out of business. But then they shifted into other kinds of jobs, and like we discussed last uh, the, in the last episode. The world's population didn't stagnate or decrease. It actually 
increased exponentially. It increased multifold, and yet everybody found something to do. So that's the nature of the world. That's the the system that Allah Ta'ala has put into place, that things are replaced and newer things come in, in place. And people will always be looked after. There'll always be something to do. There's never going to come a time where we hear these stories about this dystopian future where machines will be in control and when human beings will be living in abject poverty. It's never going to come like that. Yes, computers, artificial intelligence, these things are going to take uh, jobs, but that's nothing new. They've been taking jobs for decades now. They've been taking jobs since the early part of the last century. But there's always going to be new things to do. Because remember, economies are not driven by machines. Economies of countries, economies of societies are driven by human beings. It's human beings that are the consumers. It's human beings that are going to buy commodities. It's human beings that barter and trade and, and come up with innovative ideas and, and do business with each other. It's not machines. So if anybody imagines that there will be a future where there's only going to be machines working and human beings will be out of a job, that's not even an economically viable scenario. It's not going to happen. And as a result, we don't have to be afraid of a time that machines will take over. But yes, what we can do and what we need to do is to understand what are the current and future trends, both for ourselves as well as for the future gen generations. I mean, parents are concerned, what are my kids going to do when, when they finish school? What are they going to study at university? What kind of businesses are they going to get into so that they are never out of a job, so that they always have something to do? Now, that's what we're going to discuss today. Well, that's part of what we're going to discuss today. What we're going to actually discuss is what careers are about to go extinct. Just like in the past, we had careers that, that disappeared, that were replaced by automation, there's still careers that are going to be replaced by automation. Now, let's start with some of the more shocking careers. Now, recently, recently, scientists in the United States and in Europe have developed a body scanner, a human body scanner. Now, this is something that's out of the old science fiction shows where somebody, a doctor, for example, would come up to a sick person and hold a scanner over that person. And in a few seconds, that scanner would say exactly what's wrong with that person. In other words, it would do a complete diagnosis. It would be able to say exactly what diseases that person has. Now, up until recently, this was the stuff of science fiction, but now it's become science reality because uh, scientists in the United States and Europe have developed this amazing technology that can scan a human being and diagnose quite a large number of diseases that this person might have. Now think about this. A child is sick. What does the mom do? Instead of running with a child to... The doctor, all she's going to do is scan the child. She looks at her cell phone 
and the cell phone is going to give her the diagnosis. What does she do next? The next thing she needs to do is go to the pharmacy and get uh, medicines for the child. But what's what's you know, really amazing and mind-boggling is that there are currently pharmacies in existence that are completely run by by robots and not human beings. This was started at at the University of California in uh, in LA, where they did an experiment with a pharmacy that's run entirely by robots. They developed this this pharmacy run by artificial intelligence. Now, it's been in operation for a good couple of years, and it's uh, dispensed about one hundred thousand scripts, and it's made zero errors in all of that time. Now, this is truly, truly amazing. Now, you've got a pharmacy where you go, you simply submit your script, a robot picks up that script, and a few seconds later, you're getting your your medication. 100% accurate. Now, this is amazing technology. But coupled with that, on one hand, you've got the lady sitting at home, the mom sitting at home, who's just scanned her child, what does she need to do? She simply sends that diagnosis straight to the robot pharmacy, which then dispenses the medication, and that medication is delivered right to her door by what? An autonomous drone. Drones that drive, that control themselves. So that pharmacy is going to put that medication into a little basket that's attached to a, one of these robot drones and those drones are going to fly straight back to her home and deliver the medication. Easy peasy. No, absolutely no inconvenience. Now you may think that, wow, these robot drones are really things of the future. But they're not. They're things of today. In Dubai, they are already experimenting with robot drones to carry passengers from one point of the city to the other. And how these will work is that you would use your phone and call one of these drones, just like you'd call an Uber these, uh, in, our, uh, in our country, in any one of our cities. So you'd call a robot drone, you'd select your destination, the money will come off your credit card, the drone will arrive, you jump in, it'll fly you from one point to the other. Absolutely no driver, no um, intervention from your side as a human being. This is completely, completely autonomous. Now, this is already uh, in testing, and within the next two to three years, it's going to become live in in Dubai. And those of us that, that are fortunate enough to visit Dubai in that time, you're going to be bounced around all over the city through the air by autonomous drones. So think about the scenario now. A mom diagnoses a child using this body scanner, submits that diagnosis to the robot pharmacy. The robot pharmacy dispenses that medication. The robot drone picks up that medication. The drone flies back to the child's home and gives the medication to the mother. And all of this is fully automated and happens in minutes rather than hours. Now, question, what does this do for, or what will this do to the medical fraternity? It's going to be a major shake-up for 
people that are in the medical uh, fraternity. Now, there's a lot of other careers that are going to go completely extinct in the next five to ten years. And uh, there's quite a list that we have. And I think Masila is going to take that away and he's going to describe to us some other careers that are up for extinction and that careers that we should actually avoid in the future. Masila, what, what do you have for us? What careers are, uh, are are good to avoid at this stage? Okay, so I have a list here of, of jobs that have gone and will go extinct by the year 2030. And just to touch on what you what you just said about uh, the medical field, it actually goes beyond that because now um, there are robots that can actually perform surgery on people. Robots that can actually do your stitches for you and actually even cut you up and, and do actual surgery. Well, Good point. I mean, I read somewhere that in the future... A person that allows another human to cut them open will be considered a silly person. You'd never want a human because these robots are going to be so precise and so good at uh, doing uh, performing operations that you'd never ever want a human to touch you again. Good point. Correct, and that that even extends to the, the dentistry because now you'll just open your mouth, a robot will scan your teeth, it'll know where you need work, it'll know where you need fillings, and It'll do an extraction for you if you need. And if you need a crown, it's going to 3D print the crown right there while you wait and fit it for you. Wow, that's amazing. Now imagine that medical robots will be like these tiny little things that that just go in your mouth and do stuff while you just lie there. You won't even see them while they're operating on your mouth. Correct. And that's, that's just for the medical field. And now you can imagine that being a doctor is such a great thing. And if, if this industry can get can get disrupted. Now imagine what happens to smaller industries. For example, take newspapers and news reporters. Now we already see this going out. A printed media is slowly phasing out. It started with radio and then television and now you get all the news you want on your tablet, on your smartphone. You subscribe to as many uh, newspapers or magazines as you want and they come straight to your phone. There's no need to to subscribe for a physical paper. And the same with news reporters. Back in the days, you would get these people who, who, who go around and, and they report for, for newspapers, but they won't be needed anymore because of, the, um, because of people who have things like blogs or YouTube channels. They'll be reporting the news for you. And, and nowadays, that's where most people get their news from. From social media, mostly. Exactly. You know, I, I can't even remember when was the last time I picked up a, a newspaper and, and read it. Even though I'm a columnist for three national newspapers, I, I and here's the surprise, I don't even read my own articles in physical printed format. I, I catch up with my articles online because the, the newspaper company, uh, which owns uh, Daily News in Durban, Cape Argus in Cape Town, and The Star in Johannesburg, also have... A, a website where they upload my articles. And believe it or not, I get more views online than uh, in, in, the, in the printed media. That's fitting for a column about technology. The next job that goes extinct is lumberjacks. Now, if you've ever driven past one of these uh, forests in the Midlands, you notice that there's this giant machine that goes and chops the trees and then it debarks it and takes out all the sticks. Now, eventually, that's going to be automated. 
Well, I, I, I've seen, you know, as I'm driving towards northern, uh, the north coast of KZN, where you've got these forest plantations like uh, just past Richards Bay, you see these machines, these huge machines. It's got this arm that it extends and chops off the tree. And while while that tree is in that arm, you see the the tree just moving left to right and all the the lateral branches are chopped off and all the leaves are chopped off and that machine can even uh it, it cuts the, the the log to perfect size so that it fits on the truck and it just places it on the truck so yeah i mean i i don't think lumberjacks are going to go extinct i think <laughs> they've already gone uh extinct but i see you've got um accountants and and pilots, that's the surprising one. Correct. So accountants, right? Accountants deal with numbers all the time. Now, who can calculate and keep track of numbers better than a computer? And eventually your entire point of sale system and all of your bookkeeping, all of your taxes will be done by a computer or artificial intelligence. Just like we've mentioned in the last episode with the Amazon pop-up concept uh, stores, the entire stock of the shop is being controlled by an artificial intelligence system. Next, we got uh, pilots and flight attendants. Now, we've already seen this happen. Autopilot, you know, it's a big thing in airplanes. But eventually, just like the self-driving, uh, the, the drones in Dubai, airplanes will be able to take off and land without a pilot. Okay, so currently, I mean, autopilot has been around for decades, right? But planes were not able to take off and land by themselves. So you're saying that that's becoming a reality now? It is, and it goes further because the entire transportation industry is going to change. We know that Uber came and changed the way we, we, we move around the city, but imagine a self-driving Uber or go one step beyond the, the self-driving drones. And this extends to all forms of courier services. Your mail is going to be delivered automatically. Your garbage is going to be collected automatically by self-driving vehicles. Containers that come off ships into trains will be loaded onto trucks automatically and delivered. In fact, the entire ship is going to sail by itself. Wow, that's really amazing. That is really amazing. And uh, so all of these jobs are definite no-nos, right? Uh, Definitely. Things that we shouldn't actually uh, consider getting into. But what about what about jobs that people should be getting into? What are the careers that are looking promising for the future? Careers that are not just not going to go extinct, but are going to thrive in in the future. Well, it seems we actually out of time. But uh, we'll just have to discuss that in, in the next episode. What do you think? I, I think definitely that's a whole topic on itself. Fantastic. So that's a wrap for today. I hope our users, our listeners enjoyed this episode as much as we did and learned from it as much as we did in uh, doing the research. This is Technology Watch. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Masihullah Katrada. And we'll catch you in the next episode. You are listening to Merkaz Sahaba, the voice of Ahlul Sunnah Wal This is the amazing beauty of creation. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Talha Katrada. And this is the show that brings you up close with the universe around you. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Amazing Beauty of Creation. I'm your host Bilal Katrada. And I'm your co-host Talha Katrada. And today we're going to 
go back into the oceans and we're going to talk about some of the biggest creatures that ever lived on the face of this earth. Now, what's truly remarkable about today's episode is if you put today's episode against our previous episodes on the ants and the bees, you see such a massive contrast. On one hand, we've got some of the tiniest creatures that live on this planet that we spoke about, like the ants, tiny, tiny little bugs scuttling on the ground. And then on the other hand, now we're going to be looking at some of the biggest creatures in the world, the blue whales, these gentle giants of the ocean. And when you compare these two, when you look at them or try to visualize them in your mind, Tala will tell us about the actual sizes of these whales. On one hand, the same creator that made these tiny little ants is the creator that made those giant, giant, giant whales. I mean, it's hard to conceive that the same designer, the same creator can make two such vastly contrasting creatures, both in their size, in the way they live, in the, the, the way their bodies operate. It's really, really amazing when you think about it. So without any further delays, let's get into this, uh, into the whales and some interesting facts about them. Tala, what can you tell us about the whales in terms of their size? So the blue whale, as far as we know, is the largest living creature ever to have existed. There's been no uh, evidence or, or fossils of any creatures that could have matched the length or the, the weight of a blue whale. Um, their size varies depending on where they f uh, they're from. You find them all around the world, but the ones in the northern hemisphere tend to be a little bit smaller than the ones in the southern hemisphere. The largest blue whale ever recorded measured 29.9 meters long. Now, to put that into perspective, that's longer than two buses parked bumper to bumper. Oh, that's big. I mean, two buses. That's huge. That is huge. Now, a whale of that size, depending on its fat content, it can weigh up to 210 tons. That's the weight of 35 African elephants, or about 15 buses. Okay, so lengthwise, it's two buses, but weight-wise, it's about 15 buses. I guess that's because buses are, are empty inside, but the whale is full of fat and liquids and organs, uh, so there's no empty spaces inside the whale, right? Now, the weight of the whale can vary depending on the season. You see, at, at it's in summer, they eat a lot and they bulk up for the winter, and in the winter, they're surrounded with a lot of fat, so they have enough energy to, to migrate and things, and then obviously on their way back to their feeding grounds, they lose a lot of weight. So this is just an estimate. Obviously, it's not so easy to, to weigh a blue whale. You can't just lift it up off the ocean and put it on a, on a scale and get an accurate weight on it. Because Do we even we, have scales that big? We don't. So a lot of the weights just come for, from previous data, and we use that to estimate what a certain whale of a certain length at a certain time of the year will weigh. Now... A blue whale is huge, so it's obviously made up of huge pieces. And one of the most remarkable uh, organs of a blue whale is its tongue. 
Now, a blue whale's tongue alone can weigh as much as 2.7 tons. Wow, that's a big tongue. That's more than twice the weight of an average family car. Imagine so, having a tongue the size of a car. Wow, okay. Now, this tongue obviously needs to fit in another huge mouth. Now, the blue whale's mouth is large enough to hold 90 tons of water and food. Now, that's enough water to fill a large swimming pool. So you can literally swim around inside a whale's mouth. Exactly. And although its mouth is so big and its tongue is so big, its throat is relatively small. A blue whale can't even swallow an object the size of a beach ball. So it's, it's, uh, because of this, it's not a predator. It's a filter feeder. Like most huge whales and even huge fish, it's a, uh, a filter feeder. And I think we'll get into that a bit later. But I mean, but it's, it's, isn't it a bit fortunate that these are not predators? I mean, imagine a predator that size uh, lurking in the oceans. That would be crazy. There, there wouldn't be anything else, to, anything left in the ocean. And that's the beauty of it. Like, um, there's always a balance in, in, in nature. It's all, everything was created in perfect harmony. And in perfect numbers. Now, because of its monstrous size, the blue whale has no natural predators in the wild. Occasionally, uh, killer whales do attack them, and a lot of blue whales bear scars on their fins and things of being attacked by killer whales, but there have been no recorded incidents where a killer whale pod actually killed uh, a blue whale. Okay, so these whales are basically the gentle giants of the ocean. They are, and although they do have that extremely powerful tail, and if they ever feel threatened, they do what's called a tail slap. And being slapped by a whale's tail is no joke. It can kill even the biggest predators alive today. I'm sure instantly. it's like getting rammed by a bus or something. Exactly. The power, because that power, the tail is used to drive that whole weight of mm. the whale. So if that power is directed towards you or some other creature... There's very little chance of it surviving. Now, blue whales are also one of the longest-lived creatures that we know of. Uh, they can attain ages of up to 110 years old. So they live for a really, really long time. Now, female blue whales are, are pregnant for about a year. And... Even the babies, when they are born, they are one of ranking already amongst the biggest creatures on Earth. A newborn baby whale can weigh up to three tons and measure seven meters in length. Wow, that's a huge baby. So even, even at birth, they some of the biggest creatures. I mean, how does that compare to an elephant? And elephants are around t uh, three tons. Full-grown African elephants weigh six tons. Okay, so okay. So these are half that size. Wow. Okay. They they're half the weight of an elephant and half the length of a bus. Okay, instance. so you say whales are not predators. They are filter feeders. All right. Now, wh so w what do they eat? How does, how does a, a creature as big as that survive? There might be some other big creatures around that it, that it actually eats. No, blue whales are, are filter feeders, so what this means is that they don't go and attack other creatures and eat them. They rather they filter the water for small fish and squids and, 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 and uh, krill, and they eat those. And the way they do this is 
they fill their mouths with water. That's obviously they'll they'll find like a shoal of of creatures. They'll fill their mouth with water, and then in the front part of their mouth, whales or, or baleen whales, the whales that filter feed, they have these bristles, sort of like a giant broom attached to the front of their mouth, and when they start pushing out the water that they they took into their mouth. The water passes through those bristles, no problem. But the small creatures get stuck in those bristles, and then once all the water has been pushed out of the whale's mouth, it can then swallow those creatures that were left in its bristles. Wow! So one of the biggest creatures on Earth actually needs to eat some of the smallest creatures on Earth to survive. Yeah. So a blue whale, its its uh, its diet consists mainly of krill. Now, krill are these small shrimp-like creatures. Uh, some of them only grow between one to two centimeters. Some of them can grow up to six centimeters. Uh, but a few, th- a few species will grow larger than that. But the thing is, they live in huge swarms of up to millions, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of uh, individuals. Now, whales will feed on those huge swarms. See, so when a blue whale uh, or any whale, when it sees the swarm, it will speed up to uh, a speed of about five kilometers per hour. And as it approaches the swarm, it will open its mouth, and it will start taking in water and krill and whatever else is in uh, in that vicinity of that uh, swarm. Then once its mouth is filled, so some blue whales can fill up to 90 tons of water. Once their mouth is filled, they'll close their mouth, and then they'll start pushing out all of the water. Now this is where their giant tongue comes into play, because that giant tongue is needed to start pushing all of the water towards the top of its mouth. Now, at the top of its mouth, it it leaves it open just a little bit, not enough for krill to swim out, but just enough so that the water can pass through its. Uh, Its baleen hairs and escape into the ocean. So that's what it starts doing, and it will do that until there's no more water left in its mouth, and then it swallows uh, whichever uh, whatever creatures are left. So most of the time that's krill, but occasionally a fish or a squid will get stuck there by accident, and you know the blue whale has no problem with eating creatures like that either. Okay, so. But how much of krill does a whale need to eat to survive? I mean, here you've got this creature that's the size of two buses that's eating creatures that's like one centimeter. That's like the tip of your finger. But how much of that does it really need to eat to survive? Now, a single blue whale can eat up to forty million krill a day. So that's about three point six tons of food every single day. Oh, wow! So although they eat small creatures, they eat them in great numbers. Forty million krill a day. Forty million—that's a huge number. Now, feeding takes a lot of energy for a blue whale. You know that whole process of of swimming into the uh, the krill, then taking in all that water and pushing it out. But especially the part where it opens its mouth, because remember, it's such a huge mouth. Huge mouth. It creates a lot of resistance in the water. Okay. So it requires a lot of of energy to to push that whale forward. So because of that, it's thought that blue whales are, are picky eaters or, or selective eaters. They won't go after any patch of krill that they see. 
uh, only if a, uh, a swarm of krill is actually large enough to make up for that energy. There's this footage that was taken uh, off the coast of New Zealand a couple of years back. And it was a very, very amazing footage. It actually showed a blue whale feeding on a swarm of krill. So it showed it the whole process of it slowing down and opening its mouth and then pushing out all the water and swallowing. And later on, that exact same blue whale was seen swimming through a smaller patch of krill, but without feeding at all. Because that wasn't worth it. So it yeah. thought that that the second patch was just too small for the whale to even consider it. Okay. But then still, coming back to that number, my my mind is still lingering on that 40 million krill number. I mean, you know, we, 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 we often talk about uh, risk, we talk about sustenance, and yet you can see that Allah Ta'ala provides, I mean, if it needs to eat 40 million of these creatures every single day, uh, where does it find 40 million krill every day? So Allah Ta'ala is definitely providing for these for these amazing creatures. But, you know, from what I know, these blue whales are actually, uh, even though they are harmless creatures and they have no natural predators, they do have a predator, and that's human beings. And these creatures have been hunted almost to extinction. Tell us about that. What what exactly went on there? Okay, so between the, the early 20th century to about 1960, 1966, blue whales and a lot of other whales were aggressively hunted for their meat and their bones and the oil that they have in them. So... The blue whale, although uh, whaling has been uh, illegalized across the world, whale numbers still dwindle, and the amount of blue whales alive today is still just a fraction of what they used to be. Well, what did they used to be? So before the 20th century, before whaling started, their numbers were estimated to be 300 and 350,000 whales across the world. Okay. However, they were aggressively hunted for most of the, the 20th century up until uh, somewhere around the 1970s. And at that point, when whaling was illegalized, there could have been as low as just 1,000 whales left alive, blue whales left. From 350,000, we reduced their numbers to 1,000. That is so sad. And since then, their numbers have improved. But today, even with... Or half a, a century uh, between the end of whaling and now, there's still only estimated about ten to twenty-five thousand whales alive. So although that's a massive improvement, it's still a fraction. If you think of that number, three hundred and fifty thousand whales, blue whales, used to swim the oceans, and now there's just a maximum estimated number of twenty-five thousand. That is sad, but I mean, it's a good, it's a good number considering from the 1960s to 1970s to now, it only has been 60 years. And these creatures, as big as they are, they get quite old. It may take them longer, or it definitely takes them longer to grow and to multiply than, than your, your average creatures. So that's been a good recovery in, uh, in, in uh, 60 years from 1,000 almost the, to the brink of extinction to 10 to 25,000. But it's sad, the amount of damage that, that humans can cause to the environment. I mean, these beautiful, gentle creatures, 
And from what I understand, they, they, they've got a certain level of intelligence, like dolphins or dogs. They, 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 uh, they, they have a little bit of understanding. And to just hunt them to almost extinction, it's, it's cruel. It's, it's not just cruelty, but it's stupidity. And because one, of, one of the activists who was speaking against whaling in the, uh, in the 1960s, he even brought up that point. He says that uh, we don't understand the, the intelligence of this creature, so for us to wipe it out is, is, is cruelty to it. It's absolute cruelty, and not just that, but it's stupidity. I mean, these whalers, what did they expect after the 1,000 whales were finished? What would they do? They wouldn't have any any source of income left. They did not hear about the meaning of the word sustainability. I mean, they they, they like leeches, like parasites. They were just going to wipe out all the whales without thinking what's going to happen to them. Leave the whales. What was going to happen to them after they hunted all the whales to extinction? And that's the problem with human, classical human greed. It just doesn't have any bounds and it's, it's, it doesn't have any, any logic. You know, greediness is stupidity. When people get greedy, they tend to get stupid. And, you know, this is what happens uh, the world over. But tell us now, you mentioned something about the, the speed of whales. Uh, how how fast do they actually move in the water, such big things? So blue whales can reach a top speed of about 50 kilometers per an hour Okay, so in short bursts. So, I mean, it's not that fast, but if you think of a creature of that incredible size, yeah, that's yeah. it's like, it's impressive. That but that, that's a very rare occurrence. Very rarely they'll go up to that speed. A more uh, sustained cruising pace would be about 20 kilometers per an hour. I'm sure most of traveling. the time they're just cruising along in the ocean looking yeah. for swarms of 40 million krill to eat. The baby whales, uh, obviously male whales are mammals, right? So the baby whales need milk. Um, do, we, uh, do, they, do they drink milk? They do. They they drink milk, and for the first couple of years of their life, they'll stay with their mother, uh, growing quite considerably fast. Uh, but um, once they reach a certain age, then they'll venture out on their own. And whales, blue whales, are mostly solitary creatures. So uh, occasionally during mating seasons, they'll gather up in in small groups. But most of the time in the open ocean, uh, they'll just be singular whales traveling on their own. Uh, looking for swarms of krill. Wow, that's, uh, I mean, I can only imagine the amount of milk that baby whale drinks because that thing is huge to start off with and it gets, it grows at a rapid rate and within a couple of weeks it's already, you know, much bigger than it was uh, than it was born. Also, whales have migration uh, patterns. They, they're famous for their migration. That's why we see them sometimes off the coast of KZN in certain seasons and in others we don't see them. What's up with these uh, whale migrations? Now, the thing is, we understand very, very little about about blue whales and especially about their patterns. Like if you think about, they're one of the biggest creatures on Earth, but our knowledge of them is still very, very limited. But from what we understand is that whales from the the North Pole and the South Pole, every summer, they will travel to the the equator or travel towards the equator. That's where they'll probably mate and things. And then they'll travel back down towards the poles. And that's as much as we understand. We don't really know a whole lot about blue whales because 
their numbers are so little nowadays, so it's hard to study and gather large amounts of data from. But still, it's amazing how, you know, they, they have their rhythms, they have their migrations, they have the entire life cycle, big, secretive, giant creatures like this. And, you know, when, you, when you're looking at a whale, right, you're sitting on the, on the beach somewhere, uh, maybe in, uh, in uh, Balito, and you're looking at this whale gracefully playing around in the water, raising its tail, and, you know, jumping, uh, swirling and twirling in the water. And you look at the sheer size of it. And I don't think there's many things on earth that will remind you more of your creator than a whale. Because you look at this huge majestic creature and you think to yourself that how how did our creator make this this thing it's it's such a thing of wonder and that will that will just make your mind go towards allah ta'ala the creator of these of these uh, glorious majestic creatures i'm glad i'm really uh, i'm really happy that you know we realized our mistake around the 1970s and didn't let these these wonderful creatures uh, you know go uh, extinct and I think that everybody should actually experience at least once in their life, this should be a bucket list item, at least once in your life. Look at a whale in in the wild, in the ocean. If you have to go somewhere where they do whale tours, like in St. Lucia and KZN, go and have a look at it. It's something to see. It's something to see and appreciate, not just the creation but also the creator. Anyways, that's a wrap for today's uh, episode. I sincerely hope that our our listeners learned from this and were educated and entertained as much as we were in preparing this uh, episode. That's a wrap. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Talha Katrada. And this is The Amazing Beauty of Creation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at AB of Creation to give us feedback on our podcast. And let us know if there's anything specific you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.